Hey, it's Zach. It's the Best Advice Show, where typically I invite on one guest to offer me one piece of advice. I thought that would be the case for my guest today, but I was nervous before the interview. I was also very excited because I'm such an admirer of my guest. Our relationship is entirely parasocial. I know him through his work. With his creative partner and best friend, David Levine, he's written a bunch of movies like Rounders, and together they created the Showtime show Billions. But my favorite of Brian Koppelman's works is his podcast. It's called The Moment. I've been listening for years, and what I've gleaned about him is that he cares deeply about his wife and his two kids and the act of creativity, as well as the Knicks, pizza, music, and books. I'm lucky enough to surround myself with a number of good men in my life, but I find myself searching for other ones and wondering, what does it even mean to be a good man? That's something I wanted to talk to Brian about. Before he got his first movie, Rounders Made, Brian was an A&R guy in the music business, which seems like a really cool job. And it was. It just wasn't his essential calling. Brian got to spend time with artists as someone trying to sign them, but at a certain point, he realized he wanted to be the artist. I think what he unpacks in this episode is going to benefit you if you're someone who feels a certain calling, but maybe you're feeling blocked or merely too busy to pursue it. So you spent the first part of your career as an A&R guy um, while having this kind of urge to want to write, and then you figured out how to to listen to that urge and you figured out how to become a, a successful writer and so i want to know the difference between the way in which you showed up as a husband and as a father before you did that as as an anr guy and then after once you actually answered your, your heart's desire how did you change as a as a family man well this is the foundational question and foundational decision of my entire life. And the truth is in those short time in that in that short window that I was a dad and husband before I committed to becoming someone who did art every day, who wrote every day, or tried to be creative every day. My actions and commitment weren't substantially different, but what I was keenly aware of was trajectory. And so I was, I had reached a point where I saw that if I allowed myself to continue to be a blocked writer, and the way I translated that to myself was, that the creative impulse, I was going to allow the creative dream, the creative impulse um, to die, right? If you block something off, um, if you block the nutrients to something, if you block the energy toward it, it's going to wither and die. Um, I felt if that happened, uh, like any other death, there would be toxicity. And that that toxicity in me would ooze out of me and onto the people that I loved. And it was... And that I would, because I would become bitter, not intentionally, because I would, I wanted to come home and be the kind of partner to Amy and figure to my kids who would uh, encourage them, uh, my children, our children, to try and live their lives 
tapping into the part of themselves that felt the most alive. And I, I felt like it would be really challenging to do that if I knew that I hadn't tried to do it and wasn't doing it. And I could sense, um, be, because I had started, I got to the age of 29 without ever smoking a cigarette and I had started smoking cigarettes. I, I was sitting in my office of a perfectly good job, eating double cheeseburgers and smoking cigarettes and uh, yeah. feeling uh, this bitterness begin to creep in. You know, I, I married, I, I got really lucky. Um, Amy and I married the other person was somebody we really wanted to spend time with. And we, we were so young that I can't ascribe that to any kind of particular wisdom on, on our part. But I just had a person in my life who I could talk to about anything and also who could look at me and say, this isn't enough for you. Like what you are doing now isn't enough for you. And so I, I saw that I would be supported if I tried this. I knew that I was going to be trying it for all the right reasons. I knew that I was called to it. I knew that if I didn't find a way to transcend my limitations, I wouldn't, I was scared that I wouldn't be able to deliver for my children the way that I wanted to. And I don't know that had I not, had we not had kids, I don't know that I would have reached the crisis point in exactly the way that I did, in exactly the mm -hmm. acute way that uh, I did, and and instantly everything changed. You know, I, I think it's important, Zach, because I don't want it to sound like uh, I decided I was just going to chase a, a dream. Um I, what I decided was I was going to find a way to accept that I had this dream and then to work rigorously to achieve it so that it wasn't merely, I want this. It was like, I'm going to schedule it. I'm going to create the time and the focus. And Amy, you know, cleaned out the storage space below our apartment. And, um, my best friend, David, uh, and I agreed to meet super early in the morning before I went to work. You know, I didn't quit my job because I still had these responsibilities. Right. Dave was bartending and we would just meet super early in the morning and write. And, 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 you know, I have really bad ADHD, which was really hard to diagnose back then. I just knew that I could never finish anything that I tried to write. I, I, so, so even the dream of it seemed so difficult and unrealistic for so much of my life. But I noticed like all my friends were writers I was I I just wanted to read books and watch movies and and TV and listen to music and talk about those things and you know I my sympathies were just entirely with all of that you know I was somebody who would walk around memorizing movies and dialogue and and spitting it back out um but but I was in terrible pain not um actualizing this uh as I was in terrible pain but what did that terrible pain look like at home were you short with your kids like what was it no, it wasn't like I was short. It was like I was just dead. I was just starting to become dead inside in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And I was I was um feeling at work as though I couldn't like be bothered to deal with this stuff. And sure, I I I I was you know, I was so young. I was 29. 
And I guess it was on my 30th birthday party. Amy threw me a birthday party with like all my best friends, a poker birthday party. And, you know, she Mm -hmm. brought Sam there at the beginning. He sat on my lap. I have all these pictures. He was four months old. And that was the first time I went home that night and I said to Amy, I feel like a loser. Hmm. And she said, how could that be? All these people love you and you love them. You're doing well in your career. You have this family. And I said, I'm just not who I want to be. I am letting like whatever this fear is win. So the thing is like, you know, that's why I started by saying how fortunate Amy and I were to have each other because I could give voice to it, which is like the saving grace, right? That you could, I could, I didn't just have this 30th birthday party and quietly feel miserable. I could tell my closest person, like I feel sad and scared and um, like I'm letting us down and like I'm letting myself down. And so when you have a partner who can listen to that and not let their own fear of what that means, like trump the Mm -hmm. thing um you have the chance to uh, do well but no i mean you know everything changed as soon as i started as soon as i started showing up you know dave gave me the artist's way i i did the exercises it allowed me to figure out the blocks and get through them on some level and start doing work every day start doing something every day and as soon as we started writing rounders which was our first script that we wrote together during this period of time, everything else in my day felt better. So as long as I spent those two hours doing that, Mm -hmm. working from the place I felt most alive, then I could deal with whatever else was going on in the day and it didn't frustrate me as much, you know? Yeah. I still read poker books all the time and play poker and think about it, but, but it's not like the central, you know, thing in my life. Yeah, thinking about the the centrality of our families, I'm wondering, do you have a, a working definition of what it means to be a good man? I think I find it really dangerous to ascribe that to the word. The finality of that, I think, sets one up for becoming um, a character in Achiever novel or a Somerset mom story, you know, um, reverse those Somerset mom novel and a Cheever story. Uh, though actually rain is a story and it's like the best example of that. Um, I mean, talk about a story about a good man. I don't know that Somerset mom's rain. Uh, it's a really okay. one of the best it's like, um, between a story and a novel and, uh, definitely, definitely features a good man. Uh, yeah, you love it. Read it. Read it for sure. Okay. I mean, look, I think loyalty and honesty and the ability to question yourself and the ability to allow yourself to be questioned are generosity of spirit, Mm -hmm. generosity of material goods, a work ethic. I mean, I think all these things probably fold in somewhere. Sense of humor. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, sense of humor mm-hmm. about yourself. I think all those things probably like mix in, but you know, a lot of this uh, you get from you model things in life, right? Model aspects of your parents that you want to emulate, distance yourself from aspects that you don't. Right. I, you know, people like us look to books and movies and things like that also to 
figure out some of these questions and you try on different versions of it. And when they are outmoded, you try to keep growing and get to the next mm. place. Um, do you have a working definition for yourself? I mean, honestly, the, the Me Too movement has really changed the way I think about who I am and, and how I move through the world and just kind of questioning my motivations more than I think I would have had there not been this huge storm. Um, and so willing to be questioned, I really like that, what you said. So I think like actually being able to hear criticism of myself being able to hear my wife say like you did this thing and to pause for a second you know or more and actually like think about it and accept accept you know that I, I may have hurt her in, in some way um I think that that's a that's a moving that's like a an evolving struggle and something that I've uh yes I've spent more time thinking about since I mean certainly since becoming a dad and noticing how the worst parts of us can come out, you know, at home, to, you know, yes. to, uh, to the people uh, we love the most. Yeah. I think that's a really great thing to think about and right. And I was thinking, as you were talking, I was thinking about the way in which I might've defined strength at a different time. Mm, mm -hmm. And, and many men of my generation form their ideas of manhood and loyalty from the Godfather and from Western movies. And, and the Godfather piece is, is so baked in that there's, there's no disgorging it. Like it is so deep. Um, and it really beneficial in so many ways about friendship and loyalty and code and family. Fredo. You're my older brother, and I love you. But don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. Ever. But literally, like, fused into it is um, a deep, deep entrenchment that there are second-class citizens, and those second-class citizens are every single person who's not like the Don in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's, it's, it's really not useful in, in as many ways as it's super useful. When I think about uh, all the work that you've done that I've seen, and I think about what has made me cry, the thing that has made me cry uh, is something that, I don't know if it was a Vine or it was on Instagram, but you posted uh, a little video of the last time uh, you, you, you walked your daughter to high school, and it was like the last oh. walk you took, to, took her to high school. Um, because she was graduating, it was her senior year, and it was the last time you walked her to school, and that destroyed me because I think my daughter had just been born at the time. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, man. Um, okay, so this is part of like the questioning thing. Uh, this is great. 
because it goes back to like what you even wrote me, but you want to talk about like, and ties into all the like men and women stuff. I realized when Anna was somewhere around seven and she didn't care about sports. Um, we exposed Anna to sports. Amy, Amy's a big sports fan, but Anna just didn't care. And I realized that sports allowed me to spend a kind of time with Sammy that was very active, that gave us a platform to have all sorts of other conversations, right? Because the conversation right. wasn't the activity, so it wasn't pressurized. But the activity was, hey, let's go throw a football or hit tennis balls or go to the Knicks game, right? But Anna didn't give a fuck about any right. of that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so there was a passivity to the time we spent together. I spent a ton of time with her, but, you know, watching Emerald Lagasse or Bob Ross is way different than doing some. So I realized, well, okay, one of the benefits of a screenwriter life, which I was lit when I'm not shooting, is the ability to make my hours. And I made a decision that I was going to walk her to school every day. Not if I was shooting and it wasn't the kind of thing, where, but but like um, shooting, meaning um, a TV or film, not not a rifle. Uh, not a gun. Yeah. Who just started like dropping into this <laughs> um, midway or whatever. So yeah, this um, is going to be on the radio. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, suddenly if it can, comes on in the car on AM six sixty, <laughs> but uh, I I would I I made this decision like I'm going to walk her to school for as long as she'll let me. And the school was just like five, six blocks away, but it didn't matter if it was the like dead of winter. It didn't matter if it was sleeting and raining. Like I walked her to school. And what happened was that six minutes of us walking set us up to talk throughout the day and to have stuff to talk about when she came home from school or I came home from work. Right. Because I understood what the events were. I understood who she was going to see. Uh, I understood what friendship mm -hmm. groups were troubling her. I understood. So like, and that part wasn't cal something was a lot of dads like, don't know about. Right. It was just a way to like, so, and then, you know, you do something like that for a few days, but then you like do something like that for years and years from second grade on. Um, and, and, you know, there were times I had to go somewhere to shoot something for a month and I, I wasn't walking, but as soon as I came back, walking her to school every day, you know? So then in high school, she still would like, want me to walk her, you know? And, um, I always figured there would be a time and I'm sure there was the odd day where she was like, Hey, I'm me. but basically not much. I pretty much walked her to school every day. And so, yeah, I mean, every day of her senior year, every fucking day, Amy, I mean, it was very difficult to keep it together, understanding where we had gotten to. Um, mm -hmm. And she was so fun about it too and understood that it was a gift she was giving back to me. And um, I mean, it's an amazing thing. Like we are so close now um, and talk all the time. And um, I still, we still know what's going on in each other's lives, you know? Um, and Sam and I still play a lot of sports together and still also the same, same thing holds. And still to this day, I mean, Anna won't, no interest in watching any sports with me. My parenting journey is just beginning. Yours is certainly not ending, any, you know, because you're going to be a dad for forever. But knowing where I am right now, the dad of a five and a two-year-old, is there anything I should, I should think about more than perhaps I am? 
Get them started listening to good music. Don't listen to kids' music. Share what you're into culturally and then listen to what they're into culturally too. Like engage with their materials and let them watch South Park mm. before other people think it's okay. Like when you judge that they're ready for South Park, <laughs> let them watch it. That's what I'd say. Brian Koppelman, South Park devotee, father, husband, screenwriter, advice giver. This was really fun for me. Thank you for sticking around for a bit of a longer episode today. I hope you got something out of it. I know I certainly did. If you have some advice for me about transcending or moving through creative blocks, parenting, whatever, I want to hear it. Give me a call on the hotline, 844-935-BEST. That's 844-935-BEST. And if you love my show, if you are moved by it, I would love for you to consider supporting the production by becoming a patron. That's at patreon.com slash show where you can pay 5, 10, 20 bucks a month to help me continue making this show. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash best advice show. Thank you. Bye-bye.